All right, good morning, good morning, and welcome to the Summit. I'm Brian Agavino, the lead pastor. It's great to have you guys here as we start a new series called Fruition. It kind of has a double meaning, the word. You guys may know the word fruition means to come to completion or come to fruition. It means it's accomplished what the plan was or it's realized. And then it also literally means the state or action of producing fruit. Fruition means a state or action of producing fruit. And so actually over the next several weeks, oh, the whole summer actually, we're going to talk about how the Spirit of God is wanting to do a work in us where he's going to produce fruit. He's doing fruition in our lives. And so I hope you'll stay and join us throughout the summer. I'm actually super excited about this series and uh, really pumped to jump into it today. But before I do, just quickly, I wanted to let you know, maybe you noticed, or if this is your first time here, uh, we've changed or gone back to how we used to do communion. And so basically, after my sermon, I'm going to talk a little bit about the table, and then I'm, I'll send you guys to the corners of the room to take communion. If you've already grabbed the elements, great. But uh, there's some actually some purpose for us behind why we like to get up and go to the corners and so after the sermon, I'm going to pray, and then I'll explain just a little bit about how we're going to do communion today, and then I'll say to you, hey, when you're ready, you can go to the table. So hang tight when we're done, and I'll explain everything. It's kind of the old way. If you guys have been here for a while, that's, that's how we used to do it pre-COVID, and so uh, we're kind of back to the old way now um, with new tables. So uh, you'll notice when you get over there. Anyway, let's pray. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Awesome God, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. We pray that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. What role does the Holy Spirit have in your life? What role does the Holy Spirit have in your life? I Center my life on Jesus when I was about 15 years old. It was a summer, and uh, I remember it very vividly. And quickly soon after, I've shared with you guys this before, my journey became very complicated, hard, difficult. And by the end of my uh, senior year of high school, I was extremely burned out on Christianity and significantly confused about it. Ended up going to a Bible school in Germany. I, and I would sincerely suggest to you that at that Bible school was the first time anyone ever said to me and asked me, I remember Steve was the vice principal, he, he looked at me and he said to me, he said, Brian, do you know how the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life? And I had no idea. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know how to answer that question. I thought, I mean, maybe, I'm, I gotta believe I'd heard of the Holy Spirit prior to then, three years of going to church, I don't know, maybe that says something about the church where I was going. We're not going to throw them under the bus today. But I hadn't heard a lot about the Holy Spirit. And so it was really this first moment of learning about how the Spirit wanted to live the Christian life through me. And it really led to this moment of significant change for me. Understanding His work, His power, what it means to walk in the Spirit, and, and just living in that way significantly changed my experience. Now here's what's interesting. I'm going to be honest with you guys about this. I would tell you that actually a few years later, I, I couldn't really say when, I, I don't want to say I forgot, but it was in this place of not thinking or really practicing or 
walking, as the word is that we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this summer, in the spirit. And being a Christian moved back into kind of this effort, feeling like I had to accomplish things. And this has somewhat been the story of my Christian journey. That there'll be this season where I'm trying real hard, and then thankfully, God, Scripture, friends, whoever it is, the Spirit will remind me, hey, did you forget that the power to live the Christian life is in you? That you don't have to do it all, but that I'm in you to actually live the Christian life through you? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's right. And, and when I'm in, those, in that place of walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, understanding who the Spirit is and how he wants to live and work through me, that's when I'm most spiritually healthy. It's when being a Christian makes sense. It's when understanding what it means to know and follow Jesus is most encouraging and beneficial to me. And I wonder if in some ways you're like me. Maybe you're in one of those three places this morning. Maybe no one has ever explained to you before how the Holy Spirit works in the life of someone who follows Jesus. Maybe you're in that place of, you've been a Christian for a long time, but when I ask that question, what is the role of the Spirit in your life today, you would say, you know, I know he's there, but I don't really know what he's doing. Or maybe you're in that place right now of spiritual health, and, and this will be a great encouraging summer for you where you'll be reminded of the power and the beauty and what it means for us to walk in the Spirit. This summer, I want us as a church to engage with the Holy Spirit, to be reminded or to maybe hear for the first time that Jesus never asked you to live the Christian life he gave his spirit to live it through you. Maybe this is why we see people leaving churches today. It's not because they're missing something. It's because they're missing someone. The Holy Spirit. People don't need a better band, a better preacher, a cooler building, a better youth program, better community groups. What the church needs is to meet and walk with the person of the Holy Spirit. Maybe the reason the world is so frustrated and disappointed with the church today is because they aren't seeing the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit lead his people to supernatural love and sacrifice for others. You see, when the Holy Spirit is working in the people of God, it will be extremely evident, and the world won't help but notice. And so the question to us today, church, is, is the world noticing? At the turn of the century, a small band of ignorant, uneducated men and women from a marginal class in a marginal group of people in the Roman Empire completely changed one of the most significant governments in all the world that has ever been seen. Let me say that again. A bunch of nobodies that had no idea anything. They were fishermen and the, the scum of the community in the, of the Roman Empire. They changed the world. Someone was at work 
And maybe we have forgotten. Maybe we need to be reminded. Maybe we need to be encouraged to walk in the power of that same someone, the Holy Spirit of God. My prayer for us as a church this summer is that we would be amazed at the person and work of the Holy Spirit and we would walk in his power on a regular and daily basis. And that the fruit of his spirit in our lives would be supernatural so that the world, especially St. Charles, could not help but notice. I hope that you'll join me in that prayer. So this morning we're going to kick off our series by looking at the Holy Spirit's grand entrance into our world. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. And we're going to do three things. We're going to look at the first Pentecost, the experience of Pentecost, and the examination of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. If you want to jump on your phones and go to the summitstl.info, you can slide over to the tab that says sermon notes, and you can click on that, and you can follow along with me. Or if you have your Bibles, if you want to jump on an app to go to the, to the passage, I'd love for you to look with me at Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 13 this morning. So let's talk about the first Pentecost, the first Pentecost. And I put that in quotes because I want to teach you something, I hope, this morning. And we'll talk first about the advent of Pentecost. Did you know that actually Israel celebrated Pentecost? Maybe not with the same language, but it was called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of the First Fruits. And so there were three very important festivals that Israel celebrated. And what made them significant was that that was when the Jews had to go to Jerusalem to celebrate this. And one of those festivals was called this, the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of the First Fruits. And it was a very important festival in the Old Covenant. And it was a way of thanking God for the first, they would give the first fruits of their harvest to God to celebrate what was coming. And it happened 50 days after Passover. So 50, we'll do a little bit of teaching here, penta, right, is 50, pentecost, that's where it comes from, the Greek and Latin word there is 50. And so it was 50 days, this festival was 50 days after Passover. Now, Another interesting thing about how the Jews understood 50 was that they saw, or they believed and came to believe that after they were freed, after God had set them free from Egypt, that God gave them the law or gave the law to Moses 50 days after they had been set free. So in some ways, when we talk now about Pentecost, which is 50 days after the resurrection, what I want you to see first is that for the Jews, this, it, it's the first Pentecost. For them, they understood this. Why? Because for them, 50 days after Passover, they did what? They saw that the first fruits was a picture of God's blessing to come in their lives. And, the first fruit, and, and then also they saw it as the giving of God's law and presence to them. Now, why does that matter? I hope in your brains you're starting to see this just a little bit. So here's what God does. 50 days after Jesus rises from the grave, what does he do? He sends his spirit as a picture of the first fruits of what his kingdom is going to be like. And now he fulfills the prophecy and says, I'm going to put my law on your hearts 
for you to live in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so what we are seeing here is that as it always is, and we should always be reminded that God doesn't do anything by mistake, right? That, I mean, think about this. He set this up thousands of years ago. Hey, guys, here's what I want you to understand about 50, so that when the Jews saw what was happening at Pentecost, they would be like, yes, thank you, whoever said that. Oh, oh, I hope you guys are going, see, this, we're, I don't think we have any Jewish people in here, but if we were Jews, we, we should all be going, everyone, Oh, yes. Oh, you got that was good. If you guys were here last week and you were here with DeMontre and he was trying to get you guys to respond and we were all like not responding. I like responding. I like what DeMontre was doing to you guys. I'm going to make you respond more to me just like that. So, now, how important is Pentecost? So, if the, this is the advent of Pentecost, so we see the first Pentecost. What do we learn about it? This is the advent. God's showing something significant. Now, what, what is the advantage of this Pentecost? Let's talk about it. It's interesting. We, as Christians, we have things that we celebrate in our story, right, in the way we understand our history. And so the two biggest days that we celebrate are what? Christmas, Easter. We should. Those are good things to celebrate, right? The incarnation of Jesus into our world, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I bet for many of us, no condemnation here, if I didn't tell you that today is actually Pentecost Sunday, you would have no idea. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you knew that today is 50 days from when we celebrated Easter. Should it matter? Should it matter? Let me ask it this way. If Jesus had only died on the cross, if Jesus had only died on the cross, would we still follow him? Now, the answer to that is no. I mean, Paul says, if we don't have the resurrection, we have nothing. Because if Jesus only defeats sin, then the greatest enemy, death, isn't there, right? So, okay, he, he talks about that in Scripture. So, if we only had the cross... That would, it, it would mean we had nothing. Okay, so what about this? If we have the cross and the resurrection, is that enough? Yes, that is, I am setting you up. This is a trick question. You should know exactly what's about to happen here. Let me ask you this. What launched the start and the mission of the church? Think about it. What really changed the course of history was it the cross and the resurrection now i'm i'm being careful here i'm not saying that nothing was happening but but think about this just with me just for a second okay after the resurrection where were the disciples after the cross they were hiding right so the cross didn't change their lives after the resurrection what were they doing back at work peter was fishing he was back fishing there's no recorded sermons, no recorded conversions. There's nothing that has happened after Jesus had died and rose again. So let me ask you again. Does Pentecost matter? Oh, man, you guys are doing great today. I love this. Thank you so much. I would argue. Now, part of this, in fairness, is my fault. That, that, that we as a church don't take 
don't really consider the significance of what Pentecost Sunday should mean to us. That the coming of the Holy Spirit was so insignificant and so important in the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the redemption of God's people that we should be celebrating it every year. That we should probably be making as big a deal. We should all be dressed up in our best. We should have, I should have, I should have worn my pink tie today. I should Because, and this is my point, Pentecost is just as significant in the mission of God as the cross and the resurrection. Pentecost is just as significant in the mission of God as the cross and the resurrection. Jesus, when he was near death and about to die, was talking to his disciples. And he said something interesting. You may be thinking about this. John chapter 16, verse 7. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now ponder that just for a second. He said to his disciples, it is to your advantage. And I put the definition up here. Advantage. What is advantage? Either a benefit which is greater than someone else has, or a benefit which makes one's latter state better off than the previous state. I don't know about you, but I like having advantages. When I'm playing golf with people, I like it when they say, we're going to give you extra strokes because I, I need an advantage. When I'm playing trivia, I like it when they give me mulligans. Why? Because it gives me an advantage. I like it when I play tetherball with people, because with most people, I'm taller than them, which means I have an advantage. We like it when we have advantages. And Jesus said, I'm leaving. Why? To give you an advantage. Do you believe that it is better for you to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in your life right now than it would be if Jesus walked through those doors right now. That's what he's saying. He's saying, my spirit coming into your life is more significant and more important than you having me, literally. J.D. Greer wrote a book called this, Why the Spirit Inside You is Better Than Jesus Beside You. I like that. Why the spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. You There's so much to say here, but, but this is so practical to me. You see, Jesus knew that the mission was a worldwide mission. In order for that to happen, what he wanted to do was empower his people, those who were following him, to, to, to have something supernatural inside them that would carry out the mission of God into the world. And so what does he do? He goes away and he sends his spirit to do his work. And if he was here, then it, it would change things. We wouldn't have the power. We'd be doing everything on our own effort. That's why his going away was to our advantage. Not only would he be present in his power, be in us through the spirit, but he would actually literally be inside us. Abraham Kuyper, a great author, I got a book of his, that he wrote in in the 1900s, early 1900s. He was a reformed thinker. 
about the Holy Spirit. It's super thick. It's about this thick. And he starts off his book. This is 120 years ago. He starts off his book saying, why have we forgotten about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? 120 years ago. I kind of stole my introduction from him, right? Because where are we? What is the role of the Holy Spirit in your life? He had this great illustration. He said, so imagine you're living 120 years ago. The way he unpacked this verse, John chapter 16, verse 7, that it's to our advantage. He said, it's kind of like when you open up a new town and you have these, this, uh, all the waterways that you've run all over town and it's all connected to this one source. And when you turn on that one source of water, the water goes everywhere through the town and anyone who taps into it now has full access to that power. It's, it's a beautiful picture of what's happening here. And so I wonder if you can imagine in your brain that Jesus now has his waterways run all throughout the world. And he's saying, you can have access to that power if you'll just tap into me and walk in the power that I've given to you. Have you experienced a person and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Would you agree? Could you honestly agree that you would say, Jesus, yeah, instead of you showing up at my dinner table to talk to me about what it looks like, although that would be really cool, I, I'm glad I have the Spirit because he's all I need. Well, let's get more specific here on what happened that day and look at our passage here. Let's talk about the arrival of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it lifted the entire, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them other utterance. What, what I want you to notice here is what Luke, how Luke describes the coming of the Holy Spirit, a mighty rushing wind. And remember that the Jews connected the giving of the law of Moses on Mount Sinai to 50 days. There's a Pentecost picture there that's happening. And here we have the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And, and I believe that the Jews absolutely, they would have had this, oh, moment where they were saying, yeah, when God came and he gave his law... There was fire and there was power. And here we see this very parallel picture of God's presence. And he's saying, I'm doing something here. I'm at work. And, and so the first indwelling of the Spirit of God is making it very evident through the sound like a wind, through the tongues of fire, through the speaking of tongues where people were literally speaking other people's languages, that God's presence was here, that the mission of the Father was coming. So, so what God said in Genesis chapter 3.15, that, that I will strike your, that someone is coming, the seed of the woman, that there will be someone who will come that will strike your head and you will strike his heel, that, that basically he had made this promise, the father had made this promise at the very beginning, and then Jesus came into our world at Christmas and Easter to celebrate, hey, I'm going to bring redemption to all people and, and, the, and usher in a new kingdom and a new covenant, and then Pentecost happens. The holiday we all forget. And Jesus 
sends his spirit into the world to do what? To now be the power to carry out the mission into God's world through his people. And so the first Pentecost happens 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. Well, let's talk about what the people's experience was then at this Pentecost. Three things to point out. Let me read what happens next. Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. That ending is really important there, and we'll get to it in just a second. But let's make three observations about this moment. First is the definitive aspect of what's happening here. There is no doubt to everyone who is there. And why are there a bunch of people there? Because it's a feast of the first fruits. All the Jews are there. Why? Because remember what I said at the beginning? I was teaching guys, hey, this is the Feast of the First Fruits, and they're all coming, and they're like, oh, this is happening, because they're all there to see what God's going to do. And there is no doubt that something supernatural is happening here. Did you see the questions that they asked? They were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we can hear each of us in our own native language? It's totally clear that something unexplainable was happening. Are you comfortable with the supernatural? Oh, Brian's going to meddling now. Yeah, I'm going to get... This is where all us white suburban people get, start to get uncomfortable. We're like, oh, Brian's going to start doing stuff here and make us uncomfortable. And yes, I want to make you uncomfortable for a little bit. Because we need to be uncomfortable about this. Now, stay with me. I believe absolutely that what's happening here in the book of Acts, I'm going to teach you some theological words, right? That what's going on, the way we understand this genre of scripture is is that there's two ways you can understand it. That it's descriptive or prescriptive. So when we have something prescriptive, what's happening is the writer's prescribing for us how things should work. So some people do approach this passage and they say, this is how the spirit should work in your lives. When he comes on you, then you will speak another language. And I would argue that that's not how we should understand this. This is a pre, it's a descriptive, it's describing what the first Pentecost was like. So, so we pull out principles and understanding of that differently. That being said, I believe that the argument is that the power of the Spirit that comes to indwell those who have centered their lives on Jesus or starting to follow him is that there will be a supernatural work that is happening in us. The person of the Holy Spirit is, is going to change us. To what? To be more like Christ. 
if you walk in the Spirit, He is going to work in such a way that He is going to lead you to the way of the cross. He, he is going to work out holiness in your life. He is going to work in a way that leads you to declare the mighty acts of God. He is going to work in a way that helps you to understand and experience grace in a more profound and beautiful way. And what does that mean? It means that supernaturally, God's going to do a work on our hearts and in our lives. Why is it so hard for us to understand the supernatural power of the Spirit in our lives? Well, there are a million reasons why. But I think one of them is that we're, we're just too comfortable. It's just easy to come in here and not anticipate or ask or want God's Spirit to do something in us. What's the second thing we can observe here at Pentecost? Well, the second thing is that it's declarative. They declare the mighty works of God. I love how this ends. What happens is Luke, who's the author here, he says that all of these people from all these different places who are speaking in other people's languages, what they then do is they do what? They declare the mighty works of God of God. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, he said this, being filled with the Spirit is not just getting some kind of electrical shock. Being filled with the Spirit is having God give you truth about himself. It's having an experience of truth. Christianity is neither rationalism nor mysticism. So, so what he's saying there is it's not just something we think about or something that we know or truth that we can explain. And he's saying it's also not just something that's mystical and supernatural. So then he goes on. He says it's very rational and incredibly mystical, but at the same time, it's far too rational for mysticism and far too mystical for rationalism. So, so yeah, I mean... I, Take that for what it's worth, right? He's like, here's the point. Yes, it's truth and it's supernatural. So how do those two things go together? Well, we're like, I don't know. And that's okay, right? Isn't it okay for us to say, I don't know. But all I know is that one day I was starting to understand how powerful grace was and then there was this something that happened with me when I was with somebody and they were being, they were angry at me, but I was able to love them. Or, or you know, th- 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 and we're going to talk about this next. That was just a test. That was just a taste of what's coming. Okay, I'm not going to, we've got plenty more to say here. The, the point of this is that we're, we have this truth and supernatural powers that, that should be coming together to do something in us. That's what the Spirit is doing. It's very rational, incredibly mystical, but you see it's far too rational for mysticism, far too mystical for rationalism. Here's why. Christianity is a deep experience of a rationally held truth. And when we ever see people filled with the Spirit, they're not just getting zapped. This is what's happening. This is how the Spirit works in us, that it leads us to declare that he is working in a way to lead us to declare the truths of God that are becoming more and more apparent and clear to us. The Spirit has many roles, but let's remember that he will lead us to declaring the mighty acts of God 
to our own hearts and to the hearts of others. The Holy Spirit has been given to us in order that we might know way down deep the endless grace of the heart of God. I think, we, I think sometimes, I, I fall into this camp too, that, that we just, I think some of us get in this struggle, right? That we, we think that the Spirit is only like this mystical thing. He's not. He's a person who resides in the people of God to do a work, which is to bring God's truth to reality and then supernaturally transform us. I was watching the Blues game. And in, right at the beginning of the third period, if, you know, spoiler, they lost. And so they were up two to one at the beginning of the third period. And I look over at Dondra and I said, the Blues are going to lose. You know, you could just feel it. And, and, and they did. They lost. They gave up two goals. Four seconds ago in the game, they lost the game. And, and I think for a lot of us, that's what we think the Holy Spirit is like. Like a premonition like, but what was I basing what I said to her on? They were winning. The, I mean, all the truth would have made me say that they're going to win. All the facts. But I just, you know, I, I get sometimes pessimistic when I watch sports. And, you know, we just say they're going to lose so we're not be disappointed at the end. But then we're more disappointed when we're right. You know, it's like, so, but that's, that's how we, that's what we do with the spirit. Isn't it? Isn't that how we think about the spirit's work in our lives? We're like, Oh, I think, I think God wants me to do this. And we, we're not thinking about any truths or the mighty works of God that we base it on. And that's, what, that's what's happening here. The, he, he, what's happening in Acts chapter 2 is the Spirit's working and they're doing what? I think it's one of the most important parts of this passage. In, the, in their tongues, they're saying what? The mighty works of God. That's what the Spirit does. He takes truth, reality, evidence, and speaks it to our hearts and minds in a supernatural way that transforms us. The last thing I just want to point out here, an observation of what's happening, is how inclusive this is. So important to point out the reach of the Spirit here. That Luke, the writer of Acts, goes to great lengths to describe who is here. Why? Because the power of the indwelling spirit is for anyone. This list of the nations, it's another aha moment for the Jews. Where they're going, oh. And they're immediately thinking of a story that happens in Genesis chapter 1 that we refer to as the Tower of Babel where they were all speaking one language and God comes into the world and he disperses them because they were trying to be God. And Acts chapter 2, where all the nations are gathered again and they can all hear of the mighty works and acts of God together is the redemption of the story of the Tower of Babel. Because you guys, none of this is a mistake. This is the mighty work and hand of God in our world. And 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he sent his spirit into the world to say, now I'm going to change everything. And he invites you and me to join him in that mission because that same spirit that changed those disciples' lives, those fishermen and women who were considered nothing in that community, in that world, the spirit came into their lives and you're here today. Because of them.
Lastly, the examination of Pentecost. Over the next weeks, we're really going to dig deeper into how the Spirit works in our lives and what he's doing. In fact, in August, we have a class that we're going to offer called How to Walk in the Spirit. We'll tell you more about this as it goes along. But we're going to dig deep into, in the next weeks, Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to start there next week, 16 through 25, and then we're going to really hunker down in the fruit of the Spirit for the entirety of the summer. And, And the hope, again, is for all of us to be reminded that our Christian life works and makes sense when we're walking in the power of the Spirit. And when we remember the significance of the cross and resurrection, we have to put Pentecost in the same category. And so the answer to the question, what role is the Holy Spirit playing in your life, needs to be, without him, I am nothing, and with him, I have everything I need. And so the church, what today will be your response to the Holy Spirit? Last two verses in this passage. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. Let's take it in reverse. Some mocked. Some didn't think this tension between truth and mysticism was possible. And some of you may be in that place this morning. Let's be honest. Some of you might be looking at the church and saying, there's no power here. I've been around church people a long time, and I don't see anything different about them. And you would mock. You would mock our worship. You would mock our understanding. You would mock me. You would say, whatever you're talking about, Brian, that's not real. And, And my gentle question to you would be this. I hear you, but would you consider coming back and moving your mocking to skepticism? Instead of just throwing out what's happening here, come come with your doubts, but come and see if the Spirit is working here. The second thing we see is that some were perplexed And maybe some of you are nervous about this series. Maybe you've been in churches where you've seen the application of the Spirit used in ways that makes you uncomfortable. And that's okay. It's okay. But I want to invite you, too, to come back and ask God to lead you into the truth of the Spirit and how he works in his lives because the cross and the resurrection are so significant that the coming of the Spirit is what ushered in the changing of the world. And and I would argue that this is what we need to better understand and comprehend how the Spirit now works in all of our lives for those of us who center our lives on Jesus. But thirdly, some were amazed. And this is my prayer for us, that we would be amazed that we would see God's working through his spirit at Pentecost and believe in the indwelling presence of him in us and that we would begin again or maybe for the first time
to say to Jesus, Jesus, help me to stop trying so hard to do what you've given me the power to be? Would you consider asking God to reveal to you how you can walk in the Spirit on a day-to-day basis? Would you join me in praying and saying, God, might we be amazed at who your Spirit is and how he's at work in our lives every day until you come back forever? Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you so much for this day. (laughs) And forgive us for how we minimize or forget or whatever it is that we do that leads us to somehow in our own strength try to do Christianity when you've given us all that we need. And so, Father, today I pray for all of us, that for those of us who would mock, might we become skeptics. For those of us who are perplexed, might we be and moved into amazement. And Father, for all of us, might we too be amazed that that you are at work in this world, that the mighty acts of God are ready to be declared, and that we can celebrate together your spirit in us. And more importantly, Father, we pray that his spirit, your spirit in us would do the very thing that you want it to do, him to do, through the church, which is declare the mighty acts of God to the world and bring your kingdom until Jesus returns. And might we join you in that great mission and that great work through your power and not our own. And may this series be a time where we would be transformed and the world around us would look and see your supernatural power in our lives, not in anything that we do or anything that we could accomplish in our own strength, but may the world look and say, what is going on with those people? Might that happen here in our place, in this tiny church, in this tiny corner of the world, for your glory and your fame, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.